0: I want you to take your copy of the Word of God and be finding with me now the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, chapter 4. I would invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and be finding with me now the fourth chapter of the book of John. In just a few moments, we'll begin our reading at verse number 20. John is real easy to find. It's the fourth book in your New Testament. John is the fourth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This morning I want us to dial up John chapter 4. We're going to read and study together verses 20 through 26. Then we'll read also verse 29. We come to Victory Baptist Church. We like to hear singing. We've just heard wonderful singing. We come to Victory Baptist Church, and some people like to even hear the loud preacher hear what he has to say. We come for fellowship. We come for camaraderie. We come for corporate praise. But today on my heart is this thought. We come to Victory Baptist Church to worship. I need to make a transparent confession at the outset of the message today. Here goes. There have been times when I come to Victory Baptist Church and I go through the motions. I say amen at the right time. I know the words to the song. I clap at the appropriate time. I smile. I act religious. I act churchy, but I leave this place, and the reality is this I didn't worship. I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. Where am I going to eat after the service today? I've got this on my mind, that on my mind. And I'm just being honest, I'm a human just like you, and it causes me sometimes, and it hurts my heart to say it, not to worship him. Now, I may be the only one in this place that's that way, so if I am, I'm just going to preach to me today, but I really believe, if you'll be honest too, this message is going to help you. There are a lot of verses of Scripture in this narrative. In fact, there's way too many for me to read. It would just take too long. But if you will allow me, I want to give you the background and the context of this Bible account. Let me just tell the story. The Bible says that Jesus and his disciples have left Judea. They're on their way to Galilee. And the disciples, according to the word of God, go to buy meat. They've gone to buy groceries. They've gone to pick up food. They've gone to Walmart. Everybody's hungry. Well, while they are away, Jesus takes a detour. Aren't you glad Jesus takes detours? Jesus takes the long way around. Aren't you glad Jesus takes the long way around? And Jesus goes off on a side street and he goes to a place called Samaria. Now Samaria, they would say, was on the wrong side of the tracks. And the people over there in Samaria, they're called Samaritans and they're the wrong kind. And in this story, our Lord Jesus is going to teach us about witnessing. Can I say that again? He's going to teach us about witnessing to others, sharing with others. And Jesus goes to Samaria. And he's going to encounter a Samaritan woman at the well. Now in the culture of this day, A Jewish person would never be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. And a Jewish man would never be caught talking to a Samaritan woman. I'm just going to be honest. Here goes. It grieves my heart to tell you this. But people look down on the Samaritans, they're the wrong ethnicity, they've got the wrong skin color. They've got the wrong race. And derogatorily, they they called the Samaritans ethnic half-breeds. It was such an ugly term. That's what they said. They're not Jews. The Jews hate the Samaritans. And most of the Gentiles hate the Samaritans. But our Lord is going to witness to a Samaritan woman I want to say it this way, here goes. There's a lot of racism that you see today in the world. There's a lot of racism that you see on television. There's racism that you see on social media. But you won't find any racism in Jesus. And if you somehow think that your race is superior to all other races, Jesus would take issue with that. If you will only witness to a white person, Jesus would take issue with that. If you will only witness to a black person, Jesus would take issue with that. If you will only witness to a brown person, Jesus would have a problem with that. And you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to go right into Samaria and witness to one of those dirty old Samaritans so Jesus teaches us about witnessing and then Jesus teaches us about water he teaches us about this well of water the Bible says that he goes to Sychar in Samaria and there is a piece of ground there and on this piece of ground there is Jacob's well it's an artesian well it's a well of refreshment Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And this is Jacob's well. Well, Jesus is tired from his journey. He's weary. He's worn out. He's fatigued. He's dry. He's parched. He's he's thirsty. The Bible says he comes in the sixth hour. It's about 12 noon and it's already getting hot outside. And lo and behold, this Samaritan woman comes to Jacob's well to draw water. Now, why does she come all alone by herself? Scholars tell us that the other Samaritan ladies in that time, they came earlier in the morning. They they came in the cool of the morning, maybe at 7 or 8 o'clock. But she goes later, why is that? Because those ladies mocked her and ridiculed her and scorned her and gossiped about her and whispered about her. This is what they said. There she comes. She's got a different man every other week. People can be so ugly and so cruel and so mean So to avoid the conflict and to avoid the confrontation, this Samaritan woman goes later. She's all alone by herself in isolation and obscurity. But on this day, guess who's there? None other than Jesus, our Lord. And Jesus is going to teach her about water. This is what the Lord says. I'm thirsty. Will will you give me something to drink? Will you give me water? And Jesus says, if you drink of this earthly water, if you drink of this temporary water, if you drink of this plain old H2O, you'll thirst again. It'll never satisfy you. You'll never be content. You'll never be fulfilled. But if you drink of the living water, if you drink of the eternal water, it is a well springing up into everlasting life and forever you will be satisfied. You will be fulfilled and you will be complete. And Dr. Martin, that Samaritan woman said, that's what I want. That's what's missing in my life. Give me a drink of that eternal living water. But then Jesus starts to meddle has Jesus ever meddled in your life has Jesus ever gotten nosy has Jesus ever gotten up in your business has Jesus ever asked you questions you wished he wouldn't ask you this is what Jesus says to this Samaritan woman where's your husband she wasn't expecting that She didn't really like that personal question. Now in our culture today, everybody's so sensitive and everybody's so easily offended. We would say, Jesus, you're not supposed to do that. Jesus can do what he wants to because he's God. He can say what he wants to say because he's God. And he can ask about your past because he's the one that can forgive your past and pardon your past, and the question is asked, where's your husband? This is what she said, this is my language. I ain't got no husband. Jesus said, well, you've had five husbands in the past, and you're living with a man now that's not your husband, and this woman probably felt very uncomfortable, so you know what she does? She changes the subject. Do you do that? I do it all the time when somebody asks me something, but I don't know how to answer. I'll just kind of go off on a tangent and change the subject. Try it sometime. It's good. It works. (laughs) That's what she does. She don't like the direction of the conversation. So of all things, she begins to ask Jesus about worship. I don't think she really cared about worship, but just to get Jesus off her personal life, she asked him about worship. So... In this story, Jesus teaches us about witnessing. He teaches us about water. And then what I want to talk to you about today is Jesus teaches us about worship. He's going to teach this Samaritan woman and all of us what it means to worship. So with that thought in mind, I want to preach for just a little while, if God would help me on this subject What Jesus says about worship. What Jesus says about worship. I want to know what Jesus says about worship. How are you supposed to do it? What does Jesus teach us about worship? I don't want to to hear what the Republicans say about worship, or what the Democrats say about worship, or what CNN says about worship, or what Fox News says about worship. Time out. I'm tired of hearing that crowd. I said, I'm tired of hearing that crowd. Now, there are some people that will soak it up like a sponge. But I'm tired of listening to that bunch. But I want to know what Jesus says about worship. I don't want to tell you today what I say about worship. I don't really care what you say about worship. Sometimes we say it this way. Well, I'll worship as long as they sing my song. Brother David, we've made worship about us. Well, it's got, to be my, it's got to be my preference and my style. Got to be southern gospel. Got to be hymns. Got to be Christian contemporary. If they don't do it the way I want it to be done, then I'm not going to worship. You probably ain't going to worship anyway. Somebody told me this the other day, and I'm still trying to figure it out. We're not coming back to church till it's normal. Well, dear Lord, the whole world's abnormal right now. That's fine. I'm going to keep coming myself. I'm going to keep coming myself. But I want to talk to you today about what Jesus says about worship. The word worship that's found in this passage is the Greek word proskuneo. And you know what it means? It means to bow down. It means to lower yourself. It means to make yourself low and make him high. It means to exalt him. Proskuneo. It's where we get our word prostrate. To lie on the ground face first in humble obedience bowing before the Lord. Listen to this statement. You can't strut in the presence of God. I want to say that again. You can't be puffed up with pride in the presence of God. You can't be cocky in the presence of God. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That's what it means. It means to bow down. Now, I thought about it, Brother Matt. Let me say it this way there's a lot of people in this world that I honor. I was taught as a child to honor your elders. Were you taught that? Someone that's older than you, you honor them. I've got older pastors and preachers that I bring into this pulpit. I honor them. I've even got younger pastors that I preach for. They're younger than me, but I honor that position. I I honor My parents, the Bible says, honor your father and mother that your days will be long on this earth. Honor your wife, honor your husband, honor your family, honor your children. There's a lot of people that I honor. And then I thought about it, Brother Bill. There's even people that I praise. What that means is I say good things about them. I uplift them. Did you know that the scripture teaches us to do that? Uh, Proverbs 27 and verse 2. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. There's nothing worse than somebody that praises themselves. You ever known somebody like that? They look in a mirror and say, how great thou art. But the Bible says, let somebody else praise you. Sometimes that happens to me. I'll go preach at another church, and the pastor stands up there and reads off all this stuff about me, and you just try to stay humble, and I'm thinking, my head's not going to get big because I know the real me. Now hear me. There's people that I honor. There's people that I praise. But I need to say this loud and clear. There's only one that I'm going to worship. There's only one that I'm going to worship. There's only one that I'm going to bow down before and His name is Jesus. I will never apologize for bowing before Him and Him only. I'm only going to worship Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we call them the three Hebrew children. And they wouldn't bow before the Babylonian God. They wouldn't bow before the statue. They wouldn't bow before the idol. They wouldn't bow before King Nebuchadnezzar. And we used to sing a little song about them. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. And praise God, they wouldn't burn. So I want to say this again. I'm not going to worship a man. I'm not going to worship a ministry. I'm not going to worship a movement I'm only going to worship the Messiah and Jesus is His name. He is the Son of God. So I'm just going to say that. I'm only going to worship Him. I'm only going to bow before Him. Bill Gaither wrote a song. This is what he said. I'll worship only at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. His cup alone, my holy grail. There'll be no other gods before him. Just Jesus only will never fail. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. You'll find the word worship 176 times in the pages of the Bible. Now this is interesting. I've told you all this before, but this always amazes me. The first time you ever find the word worship, mentioned in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, Brother Jonathan. And here's the context. God tells Abraham the father to take his son Isaac up on top of Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice upon the altar. And Genesis 22 verse 5, look at the last part. Abraham says, me and the boy, me and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Think about that, Brother John. Here's a father that's going to take his son up on a mountain and sacrifice him on the altar, and he calls it worship. The first time you ever find the the, the mention of worship in the Bible, there's no quartet bus there. There's no praise band there. There's no worship leader there. There's no choir there. There's no hotshot preacher there. There's no fancy big name evangelist there. There's no congregation there. All you had was a father and a son and an altar. The last time you find the word worship in the Bible is over there in Revelation 22 and verse number 9. Look at the last part of that verse. What does it say? Worship God. You know what we're going to do throughout eternity there in heaven? Worship God. That's all we're going to do. Worship God. What are we going to do when we get finished worshiping? Worship some more. Worship God. It's going to be an ongoing, continual, perpetual worship service. Sometimes we call this building the church A house of worship. Sometimes I've heard churches referred to as worship centers. Sometimes there is a worship leader. We sing praise and worship songs. Here's a question that I'm asked all the time. What's the difference between praise and worship? I don't have all that figured out. I think it goes together. But praise is when you lift him up. Worship is when you bow down before him. Let me say it again, Brother Preston. Help me. Praise is when you lift him up, worship is when you bow down before him. I started not to tell y'all this, I've just got to where I tell y'all everything. Here goes. I am better, Brother David, I am better at praise than worship. I'm better at it. I mean, I can praise all day long. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Glory to His name. Bless the Lord. I can do that all day long. I'm good at praise. I know how to do it. But Brother Harry, worship is when I get moved in the inner part of my being and I have to surrender all of me to all of Him. And when I get in those moments and it doesn't happen all the time but when I get in those moments of worship The Holy Spirit always reveals stuff like this to me. In your heart, you've got some anger. In your heart, you've got some bitterness. And it's poisoning you. You've got some unforgiveness toward that person. And see, when you really worship God, you see how good He is and how rotten you are. Am I the only one that can relate to that? I'm better at praising than I am worshiping. I want to do both, Brother Tim, but I really feel like I'm better at praise than worship. But the Bible tells us that we are to worship. So I want to know how to do it, y'all. What does Jesus say about, about worship? Let me give you this definition of worship. Worship is the submission of all we are to all God is. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, listen to what Jesus says about worship. The people draw near unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The next verse says, in vain they do worship me. I've already told you, there's times that I come to Victory Baptist Church and I'm the pastor here. And I just give lip service. I say the right words. I praise, but I don't really worship. So i want to close now by just giving you a few observations. I got four. I know what you're thinking. Four? I didn't preach last week. I didn't preach last week. So I'm going to try to give them to you real fast and, and hit them real quickly, and then we'll be done. Make a note of this first one. The place of worship. The place of worship. Go back to our passage, John chapter 4, and look at verse 20. This Samaritan woman says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. I don't even think I've read my text yet, have I? But that's okay. We'll just do it this way. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, this is what the Samaritan woman is saying. Jesus My grandpa, my mama, my mom, and them, they used to worship on a mountain. It was called Mount Gerizim and they had a Samaritan temple up there but they didn't really worship because we don't know God. And then in verse number 20, she says, and Jesus, you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where men ought to worship. There was a temple there in Jerusalem. It was a place of Jewish worship. There were the outer courts. That's where common people like us would have to hang out. And you couldn't go any farther. You couldn't go deeper, more intimate into the worship because you had to be a priest and you had to be a priest to go to the holy place. And to go past the veil into the holy of holies, you had to be the high priest. So let me say it this way. The Samaritan woman, she's on the outside looking in. She can't really worship God. She don't know Him. And then the Jewish people, they can't really worship either because they can't come into God's presence. Look at verse number 21. Look what what the Bible says. Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Don't limit worship to a place. She talks about worshiping on a mountain. This past week, I was up in the Smoky Mountains. And I went hiking just about every day. I don't want you thinking, you're chubby, but you, you, you do hike a lot. I do. And, and man, it was humid. It wasn't too hot, but it was humid up there. And I was just on those mountains, just looking at the majestic creation of the Lord. And I found out it's a good place to worship on a mountain. But I found out, I do better worshiping God in a valley. Because when I'm in a valley, I'm more dependent on Him, Brother Scotty. I have to look to Him even more when I'm in a a valley. I thought about David. Jesus is teaching us about worship in the New Testament. But the premier worshiper of God in the Old Testament was a man named David. David wrote the book of Psalms. He teaches us about worship, how to do it. You you remember in Psalm 51, verse 17, he's confessing his sin with this woman, Bathsheba, and all that he's done. And, And look what he says. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Let me say it this way. If you're here today and you're broken, you need to worship God. Broken people need to worship God too. David is a broken man, yet he's going to worship God. In Psalm 34, verse 18, I think it's verse 18, yes. David says, the Lord is near those that are of a broken heart. If you've got a broken heart today, that makes you a good candidate for worship. I started not to say this today with all that's going on, but here goes. In Job chapter 1, you know the story. He loses everything. He loses 10 of his children in a freak accident. He loses his servants. He loses his crops. He loses his livestock. He loses everything. So, what does Job do? Job 1, verse 20. I don't know if I could do this, but look what the Bible says. Job one twenty, Job arose, ripped off his robe Shaved his head Fell on the ground And what did he do? He worshipped What a place to be in He, he worshipped Brother Preston in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and, and verse number 14 I believe it is There's times in our life when things are better David has got the Ark of the Covenant. He brings it back to Jerusalem. And watch this. You Baptists ain't going to believe what he did. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now some of y'all better get you some rhythm before you try to do that. (laughs) And I got to thinking about it, Dr. Martin. Here's David. One moment, he's broken hearted. Get a broken and a contrite spirit then in another moment he's dancing before the Lord so there's ups and downs there's highs and lows our emotions are all over the place I had a lady tell me the other day and I thought what? she said I only come to church when I'm in a good mood well if that's the criteria I probably won't be here for a while My soul, don't come to church based on your mood. Don't come to church based on your emotions. Just worship God. Well, number one, the the place of, of, of worship. Number two, the people of worship. The people of worship. Let me show you this. In verse number 21, Jesus says, Believe me, The hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. I don't know all that that means there, but I think it means something like this. God's going to put himself in man. And even when I'm not at church, I can still worship him. You know that verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and, and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, brother Josh, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. And God lives in me, and I can worship him outwardly, but I can really worship him inwardly. That's what David meant in Psalm 103, verse one, when he said, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me; bless His holy name." And then look at verse number twenty-two. Look at verse twenty-two. Jesus says to this woman, "Ye worship ye you know not what. You don't even know who you're worshiping." We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. You know, I try to be careful not to say things that would be offensive to anybody. I I don't ever want to be mean or hateful in the pulpit. I see enough of that. But I just got to say it this way, real plain. Lost people can't worship. Lost people can't can't worship God. Now, they may worship the world. They, They may worship culture. They may worship politics, but, but they can't worship the true and living God. I was saved when I was nine, and I went to church all those nine years. I was just there. I didn't worship God. But once I got saved, once I got brought into the family, once I was washed in the blood of the Lamb, I can worship Him, the, the people of, of worship. Well, number one, the place of worship. Number two, the people of worship. And then I'm almost done. Number three, the pattern of worship. Brother well, Johnny, how are we supposed to worship? Jesus tells us. Look at verse 23. The hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship. Every time we come to Victory Baptist Church on Sunday, God's looking for true worshipers. True worship, real worship, authentic worship, not fake worship, not phony worship, not superficial worship, but true worship. That's what he says in verse 23. And then in verse 24, he says it the second time. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Everybody look this way. What does that mean? I've heard that all my life, to worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't know if I got it fully understood but let me tell you what I think it means to worship God in spirit God makes me like him there's one God but he's made known as Father Son and Holy Spirit well there's just one me but I'm a body I'm a soul and I'm a spirit I'm a trichotomy I'm triune like God is triune well I can worship God with my body y'all I can lift up my hands, raise my hands. I might even take off, start running around the building. I can do that. I can shout. I can sing. I can do that with my body. And it's in order. I like it. Wouldn't hurt if some of y'all do that. And then I can worship him a little more intimately. I can worship him in my soul. And this is usually how it happens when I worship with my soul. I cry. I weep tears well up in my eyes and you've heard me say this if your eyes leak your head won't swell and, and, and you just you, you, you just bubble up on the inside oh I like that kind of worship all that is within me bless the Lord oh my soul but Brother W.L. even more intimate than the body and the soul is when you get in that most holy place the Holy of Holies, the Spirit. And, and sometimes it don't happen a lot. I'm sorry to tell you that. don't always happen. Sometimes the Holy Spirit connects with my spirit and I worship him, not just outwardly, not just with my body, not just with my soul, but in the Spirit. Are you hearing me today? In spirit and in truth. Now, what does that mean? You got to have more than just emotions. It's got to be more than just a show. It's got to be more than just wildfire. You got to have doctrine. You got to have theology. You got to have truth. I worship a Savior that died on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and he came back to life. He is resurrected, he's coming again. I have that truth. I believe that truth, and I worship him. To worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to just come in and go through the religious routine and sing the songs and say amen at the appropriate time. We know how to do it. Don't you really want to worship Him in spirit and in truth? Well, i got just one more the place of worship, the people of worship, the pattern of worship, lastly, the person of worship. Who are we worshiping today? Not a president, not a congressman, not a celebrity, not a sports star. We worship him. Look look, look at verse number 25. This woman, she doesn't really know who she's talking to. The woman says unto Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And look what Jesus says in verse 26. I that speak unto thee am he. You know what Jesus said? That's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And then in verse 29, this woman says, Oh, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? Brother David, you remember that story when Jesus is up on the mountain, the Mountain of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John's there. Moses and Elijah show up. And Peter, most of the time, puts his foot in his mouth. And he says this to Jesus Jesus, why don't we make a tabernacle for you? And a tabernacle for Moses? And a tabernacle for Elijah? See what he does? as he puts Moses and Elijah on the same status with Jesus, that ain't going to work. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when they opened their eyes, they only saw Jesus No Moses, no Elijah, just Jesus. And when you come to Victory Baptist Church, I don't want you to see this preacher. I don't want you to see our choir. I don't want you to see our ministries. I don't want you to see all the stuff that we do good. I want you to see Jesus Christ and him alone and bow before him. He's the person that we worship. I heard about a little boy who went to church on a Sunday. Later that evening, when it was bedtime, he knelt down at his bed and he prayed to God. And this is what he said, Brother Roy. He said, God, we had a good time at church today. I wished you'd have been there. Don't you want God to be in this place? Can can I encourage you today, Victory Baptist Church? We've always been known for singing and shouting and a preacher that hollers, all those things. But can we be known as a church that worships? Not just praise, but worship. All of us, to all of Him. Can we pray? Lord, we have met to worship. Brethren, we have met to worship. And adore the Lord our God. God, here's the reality. Sometimes we're like David. We're jumping up and down and dancing. Sometimes we're broken hearted. But the result is always the same, to worship. Job lost everything that he had. But what did he do? He worshiped. God, I'm still learning how to do it. I'm still not an expert on how to worship. I know how to say the right things. But God, I want my heart to be fully surrendered to you. Teach us how to worship God. Oh, Lord, we love you. Somebody today ought to come and just kneel on an altar. In fact, that's what we said worship is. It's to bow before him. To make yourself low. Physically, if you're able, there's something about kneeling in his presence. I surrender to you, God. I worship you. There's somebody else today. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. I heard David say it a moment ago. If you've been saved, you ought to come for baptism. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. With all that's going on in this world today, I would be very careful procrastinating and putting off salvation. You've done that way too long. It's getting too late in the game. I believe Jesus is coming real soon and you're still just kind of waiting around to be saved, you need to be saved today. Just cry out to him. And then if you have been saved, maybe you need to come for baptism. Maybe you can just come and find this pastor and say, Preacher, real soon I want to be baptized. Maybe today you want to come and unite with our church. You'd like to come and join our church family. We're not a perfect church, but we serve one who is perfect. And we'd love to have you today. There's so many needs. But God, I want you to receive maximum worship. I want us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Somebody ought to come today during this time of invitation and just bow before him. Thank him for his goodness. Somebody ought to come for salvation. Somebody ought to come for baptism. Somebody ought to come and join the church. Oh, we'd love to have you. God, do your work now. This is your time of invitation. Search our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen and amen.